Hi, and hello to everyone who's listening. Um, I'll just get started here. Uh, hello, and welcome to the week ahead in Russia. RFERL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest today is Olga Oliker, Program Director for Europe and Central Asia at the Crisis Group. Thanks very much for joining me today, Dr. Oliker. Very happy to be here, as always. All right. Um, now, I'll just mention, uh, it's great to have you. I'll just mention that we're conducting this uh, live on Twitter Spaces uh, for the second time, and I want to apologize in advance for any technical problems. Um, Dr. Olker, you've been a guest on this podcast a couple of times previously since late last year, when Russia was massing troops near Ukraine and coming out with very dramatic demands of Kiev, NATO, and the United States. Uh, and you joined me and some of my colleagues uh, for a Twitter Spaces discussion in January. Now, in large part, uh, these focused um, on uh, Vladimir Putin's demands and the diplomacy and essentially the question of whether or not Russia would invade Ukraine. And now it, it has, uh, obviously, uh, this was 12 days ago, something that for me and I think for many people uh, was hard to believe would happen, kind of unfathomable unfathomable, despite the Russian aggression against Ukraine that has continued since 2014. Um, it, it has happened. Um, an unprovoked and massive invasion whose consequences are already horrifying in terms of the human toll uh, since uh, it began on February 24th. And also now, uh, Putin's clampdown on any and all opposition, civil society, and independent voices in Russia has been ramped up uh, to a degree that's also almost unfathomable. Now, Putin seems to be doing uh, very severe and in some ways clearly irreversible damage to Ukraine, certainly, and to his own country. Well, I frankly find it hard to know what to focus on in this nightmare, um, but I'd be interested in your views on both Ukraine and Russia as they head further into the unknown. Uh, first on the war in Ukraine, or, or Russia's war against Ukraine. There have been a lot of signs, I think, that uh, the invasion, the military uh, operation, the war has not gone the way Putin may have hoped uh, in the first uh, week and, and almost two weeks now. Evidence suggests uh, he was expecting to basically bring the country to its knees in a few days. Uh, today is day 12, and that has not happened despite all the death and destruction. Uh, and yet, Putin said just a few days ago that the invasion is going according to plan. Well, what do you think, Olga? Is that pure propaganda? And, and if not, what does the plan seem to be at this point, and can it be achieved? At what cost? So, yeah, thank you, Steve. I mean, this is this is speculation, right? Um, I get nervous uh, each time we hear from Moscow that they're doing brilliantly and about to attain success because I worry about what they're going to do to try to attain that success. Um, you know, the alternative, of course, is they'll emulate the U.S. approach in which you just keep turning corners until you've gone in circles, but you never actually accomplish anything. That's also a very ugly outcome in which this lasts for a very, very long time. I find it interesting that the Russian official story on this conflict remains that it's all about a war in eastern Ukraine, in Donbass, um, against Nazis. Uh, but 
the truth leaks out, right? I mean, the Russian print media reported on humanitarian corridors out of Kiev last week, um, even though the televised media did not. The information is there for everybody with a VPN. Um, the protests are going in Russia. So it's really kind of, I mean, it's hard for me to tell what what the plan is other than to keep pushing. And I would say militarily, um, look, Russian forces do continue to advance, albeit very, very slowly. Uh, you know, are they willing to just keep going and, and for how long? And for how long can they keep going, right? It's, at what point um, do the requirements of resupply, does military morale, all of that create a problem? And, you know, this is these are all huge unknowns. Um, so is the unknown of what they will do if they decide that the costs aren't worth it. Uh, you know, uh, retre retreating and declaring declaring victory and retreating um, is a time honored uh, tradition, but it's hard for me to see how they can do that in the face of the tremendous global pressure on them. Right, absolutely, and it seems like um, you know, sort of at no point in this uh, has has Putin or, or Russia given any indication that they would they would do so, that they would kind of declare victory and retreat. Um, so, I mean, I think we, from from what I can see, we're not really hearing hints um, of kind of an effort to, to prepare for any kind of a climb down or any kind of a retreat. So, I mean, Putin is still talking about, um, and, and Lavrov and, and the rest of them still talking about um, okay, we'll have negotiations with with Ukraine, but essentially negotiations about pretty much about your surrender. Um, you know, you need to fulfill our our, our demands. Um, there've been some, I guess, subtlety about some, there are different kinds of demilitarization uh, that could happen. Putin said, uh, but on the whole, it just seems like um, you know they're not uh, not uh, stepping back from any of. Of, of the big demands, including um, uh, you know, Ukraine demilitarizing and then this talk of uh, denazification, obviously, um, you know, a false, a false uh, way of putting things, but um, uh, it does seem clear, or, or it seems that uh, Russia still, still kind of has kind of a maximum program in mind. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the challenge here is they're negotiating, but both countries at this point believe that they can put enough pressure on the other on the battlefield to garner more concessions, right? Which, you know, if everybody thinks that they can get more by continuing to fight, you're not going to get a negotiated deal. Uh, that's just... That's just the reality of it. I can imagine ways to get to a negotiated deal, right? Um, they could include pledges of no, the sorts, actually some of the same sorts of things that were discussed before the war. No uh, major, you know, no, no major NATO combat forces in Ukraine, which nobody was planning to do anyway. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, you can talk about lim conventional forces limits, uh, both Ukraine and Russia near each other's borders, which would not be a terrible idea in the grand scheme of things. All of these things, you know, you can sit there, uh, I can sit here in my office in Brussels and put together a lovely peace plan. But again, if both uh, Russia and Ukraine think they can accomplish more in the battlefield, they're not going to sign on to it. 
Right. And I think, I mean, uh, one of the Ukrainian negotiators or, or senior officials said, I think yesterday or the day before, that, you know, the only things in the negotiations that are off limits in our, in our, in our mind are, you know, are red lines are, um, uh, I'm sorry, recognition of, of the of the, the Donbass, uh, you know, independence claims, and then also um, uh, accepting Crimea as a Russian territory. So, you know, there's a hint there that, you know, we're at least ready, Ukraine was ready to talk about other things. But there, I, I hadn't seen no indication from Russia of whether that's sort of something that they are interested in doing or not, or if they're just, as they seem to have been in the negotiations leading up to the war with the, with the West, with NATO and the U.S., just kind of using the negotiations to play for time. So I don't know if they're playing for time. I think they're waiting for a Ukrainian surrender, and it certainly looks bad if you refuse to talk, so you talk. Um, yeah. And, you know, ceasefires can be of benefit to all sides if they need time to resupply. You know, this is one reason that I, for instance, would be hesitant to call, for instance, for a blanket ceasefire with Russian forces uh, still, you know, on the ground throughout Ukraine is it could be cover for a resupply mission. Um, you know, so there's uh, there are all sorts of reasons to keep negotiating. Um, the point at which one or another party really wants a deal rather than to keep fighting, though, is the point where we'll actually get that deal. Right. Okay, well, uh, we'll see when and whether that comes. Uh, in, the, in the meantime, obviously, a lot of just, uh, uh, just uh, astounding uh, uh, pain and suffering. Um, uh, now, my second question uh, is more about what's happening in Russia. Uh, and as in Ukraine, it seems hard to believe it's going the way Putin expected uh, when he decided to start this war, whether that was last week or last year or even earlier. Um, Western sanctions have been tougher than many believe they would be. Um, but also companies are pulling out, um, retail companies, uh, Internet, uh, they're pulling out uh, mostly because of the outrage over the invasion of reputational risks and such. Um, uh, and a number of factors are making the economic situation in Russia very unpredictable and possibly unsustainable uh, in the long term. Meanwhile, the state has cracked down harder than ever, uh, really seeming bent on silencing any whisper of dissent. Um, there's been talk, you know, is Ru Russia's returning to the 1990s, but some are saying, no, it's more like the 1980s uh, or 70s, uh, the repressive communist era. Uh, but despite this, um, somewhat, perhaps also unexpectedly, there have been substantial protests, including yesterday, uh, Sunday, uh, uh, against the war. Uh, yesterday, I, I believe, saw about 5,000 people were detained at protests in in dozens of cities, more than six cities, uh, including, I think, 2,000, more than 2,000 detained in Moscow. And I think it's safe to say... Um, not just because of the protests, but because of because of everything that's happening with the economy, the sanctions, uh, and just the fact that uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine, this neighboring country that's uh, been linked, uh, you know, throughout history. Um, I think it's safe to say Putin's future is more clouded than it has been or had been in at least a decade, and probably since the beginning of his rule. 
uh, about 22 years ago. Olga, obviously it's hard to make predictions, um, and I'm not going to ask you to, but engaging the situation in Russia in the coming weeks, uh, the next few weeks, what will you be watching most closely for clues about it, how things may look or how things may develop in the next few months or, or years? So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is that um, much as Moscow, um, or at least uh, Putin's inner circle, expected a short, bloodless war in Ukraine, bloodless successful war in Ukraine, uh, greeted with candy and flowers uh, as liberators uh, and everything over immediately, I worry that Western states uh, expect a rapid um, I don't know, shift in Russia, whether that's um, that uh, whether that's regime change or the regime coming to its senses in some uh, amazing way in the face of the sanctions, in the face of the public protests, in the face of the realization this was a terrible mistake, uh, that, you know, um, they'll realize that this was a bad idea and turn it around and they'll do it fast. And I think... Uh, just like the Russian expectation that a war in Ukraine would be easy, the expectation that the effects of this war and the sanctions are going to make Russia, uh, make the Putin administration change its mind, um, it's wishful thinking. Uh, it's wishful analysis. And, you know, it's not that it's completely impossible. It's that it's really unlikely. Um but, you know, we will all be watching how the economic situation unfolds in Russia. We'll certainly keep watching the protests and the crackdowns on them. Um, we'll be watching the exodus of, the, of Russia's middle class. And also, of course, um, just what the government does. You know, will they um, impose more regulations? Uh, you know, will they um, impose a state of emergency on the country? What, what will they do? Will they prevent military-aged men from leaving Russia, as Ukraine has prevented military-aged men from leaving Ukraine. Um, we're, we're, you know, we will all be watching all of this because there are so many ways that this can get worse. We'll all, we're also, um, at least I am, watching some of the nuclear rhetoric uh, that's um, clearly meant to frighten and deter uh, the West and, I think, ideally to bring the Ukrainians uh, to capitulate. Uh, but there's also, you know, the low probability, very, very high danger risk of actual nuclear use in all of this. So this is also something to keep an eye on. This, I mean, this is really a tremendously dangerous, I just cannot, cannot emphasize enough just how dangerous this situation is. Um, it's, this is, this is one of the scariest moments, uh, certainly of my lifetime. And I think it's going to my guess is it's going to last for a while as a very, very scary moment. Perhaps if we're lucky, it's going to last for a while as a very, very scary moment. Uh, that's uh, quite, a, uh, quite a description. If we're lucky, it's going to last for a while as a, as a very scary moment. I mean, if we're uh, super I, lucky, it'll all get resolved. But, you know, yeah. the, what, the aliens are going to come and fix this? It's right. It's hard to see a way forward to a good outcome in the near term 
without a miracle or two occurring. Now, we've seen a miracle or two occur already, right? We've seen the Ukrainian forces prove to be so much more capable than the Ukrainian people, so much more resilient than I think anyone, including themselves, expected them to be. Miracles do happen, but you shouldn't plan on them. Absolutely. I'm just going to, I just want to go back to two things you mentioned, uh, if you don't mind. Um, just the, the idea of expectations, I think, over the last few days or last week um, about some kind of a quick change in Russia. You mentioned whether regime change or the regime coming to its senses. And to me, it was, there was kind of a disheartening feeling. Um, I remember after the election in Belarus uh, in August 2020, and there were huge protests. And for a few days, I think it was a few days, it seemed like Lukashenko you know, was, was done for. Um, uh, and then he wasn't. Uh, and I had a sort of a, a bad feeling um, in the past few days that this sort of initial uh, wishful thinking or, or the initial assessment that, okay, you know, Russia, this, this, this can't go on, you know, may may not be may be misguided. So, and of course, Lukashenko had had Russia, and that was one of the main reasons that he he has survived it. Um, so, in a way, Russia doesn't have Russia to rely uh, in the same way as he does. Uh, but um, just just to just to the point that, as you as you mentioned, is kind of um, we we don't really know uh, whether there will be. Uh, a major change in the in the coming days, you know, weeks or months uh, in in Russia. Uh, the other thing, I, I mean, I, I didn't uh, just to just to go back um, to do the the nuclear issue, the nuclear question. Um, I think there was, uh, and and I guess it ties into this talk. Um, I wrote an article, and others have about you know how rationally is Putin acting. Um, Lately, I mean, he's obviously all had designs on Ukraine for a long time. And in some ways, all his actions are are explicable, or you know, can be explained by his, um, you know, his feelings, the apparent feeling, his, his designs on Ukraine. But that, on the other hand, you know, taking it to the point of of this invasion, uh, you know, killing many people, uh, you know, is, is is I think still beyond what what. Uh, you know what a, a lot of people may have thought uh, was going to happen. So, but just in the in this context, the the, the nuclear issue. Uh, I think Andrei Kozarev, the the former Russian foreign minister, uh, wrote recently that well, Putin is is acting rationally in his own way. And I think Kozarev wrote that you know he doesn't believe uh, he would turn to nuclear weapons. So, just wanted to ask you. You know, you mentioned there's a very small chance, uh, I guess, that that could happen. Um, how do you see, like, what do you think, is there something that the West can do to kind of uh, make more certain that it doesn't happen? So, you know, I do think that Vladimir Putin takes um, nuclear escalation quite seriously. I don't think he would talk about it and threaten it if he didn't take it seriously. Uh, but I also do think he has a certain tendency, which is not unique to him. It's quite common to leaders, democratic and autocratic around the world, to think that regime change is an existential threat to the state. So I would say that, um, you know, unpleasant as this may feel, um, this may not be the best time to talk about the desire for sanctions to overthrow the government. Uh, this may not be a 
you know, a great time to talk about how all of them are going to go up on war crimes charges when the war is over. Um, this may be, you know, instead trying to think of a solution for the present conflict and get it to end and figure out the rest of it uh, later will save more lives. But, you know, I can make this argument, but um, in some ways I think that train has already left the station. So what I think, but I do think that what um, global leaders can do is make it clear that for the time being at least, uh, we're negotiating with the existing government of Russia uh, and Ukraine is nego negotiating with the existing government of Russia just as Russia must negotiate with the existing government of Ukraine whether they like it or not, and that, you know, everybody recognizes that reality. It's, uh, but, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow because there is a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of sadness, and a lot of desire for revenge, I think, um, which is all completely understandable. Absolutely. Um, all right, uh, we're running out of time and we'll wrap it up there, Olga. Thanks very much for your insights, and thanks for joining me again. Thank you for having me. All right, I'll be back next Monday for another edition of The Week Ahead in Russia, and please keep an eye out on Friday for my Week in Russia newsletter. Thanks for listening.